places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again I can't wait to get on the road again Hey everybody and welcome to the Where's Willie podcast. Join me, William Miller, as I travel the country talking to manufacturers of all types about their trials, tribulations, and triumphs in the industry. This show is brought to you by Koganay International America, Inc. Welcome to the Where's Willie podcast, a national manufacturing podcast sponsored by Koganay International America, Inc., a global manufacturer of more than 512,000 components that help miniaturize every device, machine, robotic, and automated process in every industry sector of manufacturing. Today on the Where's Willie podcast, my virtual travels take me to Orange County, California to talk to, in the words of my 12-year-old son, the coolest man in the world, Mr. Aaron Aders. Aaron, welcome to the Where's Willie podcast. Thanks, Willie. Uh, really happy to be here. Appreciate it. All right. So for the context of the listeners, just because your schedule has been, in, in simple terms, bananas, the fact that I was able to snag you here 20 minutes before my next appointment, I want to talk to you about and share what is it that you have made that is taking the world by storm? Yeah. So the summer board is a solution for snowboarders just like me that we don't get enough time on the mountain i mean it's not a year-round sport so there's never enough time on the mountain no matter where you live so you need something anything and uh from the very first time i went snowboarding when i was 13 you know i took that car ride home and had to wait a year and that summer all i thought about was snowboarding around my hometown indianapolis and in the winter it gets you know super cold and there's snow there but there's no hills so you really have to travel and so this has been something I've been thinking about for a while, uh, more than 20 years. And uh, yeah, it's finally the technology came together with lithium-ion batteries and uh, this new drive system uh, that we developed that allows you to have those snowboard mechanics even on flat ground or uphill. And it's just the craziest product ever. And it's awesome to be working here and just riding it and thinking about it all day long. <laughs> so I, I, again, I cannot hold back the smile because like I said, out of all the people that I've interviewed in every manufacturing sector from medical device to you know other OEM products, the fact that you're on here has made me the coolest dad ever. Now, for all the listeners, I discovered Aaron's invention on Instagram, which is blowing up to say mildly, but if you guys want to learn more about the summer board, they can go to summerboards.com. Yeah, summerboard.com or see us at summerboard on Instagram, YouTube, all that good stuff. Definitely Instagram. Okay. So again, for the purpose of the Where's Willie podcast, I want to talk about not the fact that you, you are going to end up this summer having the number one sold consumable product in North America my belief, being a kid from West Michigan, who still lives here, by the way. So I know the life that you're talking about and what we deal with with our weather patterns. What I want to talk about is your bio. So for the context of the listeners, I would expect that never in your wildest dreams, as you were a kid that grew up in the Midwest, you thought that you would be in Cali now running a company that is trying to meet or catch up to the demand globally for the product that you just developed. So can you give everybody just, as you had stated, you grew up in Indiana and kind of how your road took you to where you are today? Yeah, I mean, uh, from having that dream as a kid, obviously we actually tried to build a version of this when I was a kid and okay. uh, it totally didn't work. It was didn't feel like snowboarding at all. I was <laughs> using like a, an engine that we took off of a weed whacker. It was terrible. But, you know, went to college, 
didn't really know what to do. All my family, everybody in my family are doctors or nurses. So kind of went into healthcare, studied biology, was going to go to medical school. And I got a call from a buddy that actually backing up to that, I created a company in high school with some friends and uh, ended up moving out <laughs> before my senior year and just, yeah, barely graduated because we I was just focused on running this company and making money rather than going to school. But luckily they, they passed me enough to get out of there. Uh, you know, I went to college, thought that was a responsible thing to do. And after college, my buddy called me up and said, Hey, remember that thing we were doing in high school? It's this digital marketing craze. And so we, we jumped on and started a company and didn't actually end up going to medical school. Obviously that's kind of took over. And, and then I saw all these technologies coming together as I was running this company and doing some, nothing to do with manufacturing. Sure. But I saw electric skateboards coming on the market and I thought, wow, that, that dream of like snowboarding everywhere, this is it. It's like, you just ride around, there's a motor. It's like, you know, be on a hill. And so I bought the first one that came out at this huge DC motor on it and didn't feel anything like snowboarding. It was, you know, after a week it hung up in my garage and I was pretty bored, but it got that, that thought again of like, what would it be like to, to snowboard everywhere? And um, there's this invention called freeboard, super cool. You can think of it kind of like uh, a soapbox derby car. Only goes downhill, but super cool. And in that sense, we kind of developed the go kart. So we took, we combined that electric skateboard idea with, uh, you know, this freeboard and built this new thing with this drive system that is essentially uh, slapping a motor on a shopping cart wheel, which has like never been done before. And that's the, that's the key part of the, you know, this puzzle that everyone thought was impossible. But, you know, being not an engineer, I was like, of course it's possible. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what was impossible and uh, made it happen. It, it, um, it works. So that's the kind of core of the system. And when I proved that out and rode this thing around for the first time and had that snowboard feel, I mean, it was just like that thought when I was a kid, dream come true. So I had to learn a lot of these like manufacturing and engineering and a lot of that just on the go, mostly YouTube videos, actually. YouTube's like the matrix. Uh, you can just download knowledge pretty quickly and everything's on there. You know, there's there's a million good videos for the million bad, bad videos in terms of, I don't know, building batteries or uh, electric motors or dealing with any of these parts. Yeah, so that's kind of where I got my engineering degree, but had to learn all the manufacturing stuff along the way. And that is like a whole life kind of second career that I have, because as I wrap up my day here, you know, my day in China is just starting and being on the West Coast a little bit better than the East Coast, you're a little bit closer to that time zone. But yeah, like five o'clock, everybody starts waking up, five o'clock PM here, mm. everybody starts waking up in China with our supply chain and Japan and all these other countries that we have out there that we source materials from. And it's just like that goes until midnight sometimes. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's uh, again, something we had to learn and um, happy to talk about any of that, that stuff. And, 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 you know, I do. So number one, I can relate to you because as I kind of shared my story with you offline, you know, Kogane, it's. It was born in 1934 in Tokyo, Japan, still is there today. So actually all of our manufacturing, these Catholic Bibles here of all the components we make. So it's pneumatic, electromechanical, and then robotic components. So we get to see and work with and collaborate with companies like you, both on the design side of the product, but then also the actual assembly or the automation process to take all your raw material, you know, set it up the timing. So you've got a finished product and 
you know, how do you do that with robotics and advanced industrial automation? So everything is, you know, you increase and you can meet, you know, very fast deliverable uh, requirements based on your orders globally. Understanding that paradigm of when we close our eyes, basically Summerboard is now able to, because you've done a great job sourcing, work through the night while we're sleeping here in North America. So, you know, your, your communication stream stays continuous. I want to talk about, so again, Summerboards, I think it's going to be the number one product by the end of the summer for consumers. I had asked you, May 16th, 2016, you rolled the first board out. And since then, you've had success. Let's start back then going into your bio. You've had the idea. You weren't an engineer. You basically, and not to disrespect you, you had an idea on a napkin. And you have no idea what you're doing. So how did you go, honestly, from this concept, knowing you had the idea that it would work, but not knowing who to reach out to, understanding, you know, procurement, contracts, agreements, kind of just walk us through what did it take? Was it 2012? Was it 2014 for you to deliver and make that first board May 16th, 2016? Yeah. So that first board, again, I don't have an engineering background and I think a lot of the constraints of the original company and original design was mostly due to the fact that, you know, honestly, not a lot of people believed in the idea. I mean, I, you know, I'd go to an investor meeting and say, Hey, you know, this is snowboarding everywhere. And I didn't have a working prototype, like you said early on, okay. ideas on a napkin and, uh, or I had a prototype that I was way too ashamed to even bring to the meeting, but, uh, people didn't even believe it was going to work, let alone like be a thing. But as a snowboarder and someone that, because I'm a snowboarder, I just like, I have that drive and that fire to like ride all year round. I knew that it was going to work. I knew we were going to make it into a big thing. And, uh, because we had to for my own sake. And so early on, because we didn't have a lot of, uh, really any investor support, we we're doing pre-orders. Um, luckily a lot of what I did with my last company was content marketing, which is focused on you know, kind of virality of things rather than advertising spend. Yep. And so that really is what kind of funded the company and customer pre-orders, super patient customers, awesome people from the beginning that supported us and waited sometimes in some cases, two to three years for their final board. That's kind of what put us together. But even with that, even with the day that we launched the product, we had a few hundred customers. Mm -hmm. Like It wasn't anything big. I mean, we, we basically day one got to that first shippable board on roughly half a million dollars of orders and a $45,000 investment from our earliest fund, which was Stadia Ventures out of St. Louis. They're awesome. They are a sports tech fund that focuses on super early stage companies that are generating profits, selling something on the market. Mm -hmm. They're great. Uh, they believed in us. The only people did before we shipped and then we shipped. And again, I, I'm kind of, bringing this together because that first version we shipped was basically like, get this thing out there. It's been a year of developing this thing and just get something on the market. And it was, you know, needed a lot of repair, a lot of maintenance. It was like, like the first 3D printers worked amazing when it worked, but had to be repaired quite a bit that first version. But then we started getting some customers that were, you know, obsessed with the board and said, Hey, we want to be a part of this. And so, you know, coming on as angel investors and, and that's really who we've raised money from just riders that love our board, that want to get involved and see that future. We don't have any venture 
capital money. So we were on a little bit of a more of a slow burn in terms of the product development because we were just so slowly uh, raising this money. But through that, you know, having all the scars from just like working two jobs, not taking paychecks a lot of time, you know, self-funding a lot of it, just like scraping and making sales drive the the production and, and the company in total. I mean, you get lean and you make stuff happen that, you know, companies sometimes raising millions of dollars didn't make happen. It's, it's funny if you look at the Indiegogo, there was this project that raised $20 million the same day that we raised, uh, I was like 70 grand or something. And they never shipped their product. <laughs> so uh, it's definitely not um, something that signifies success, but we were definitely on the slower burn on the product development side of that. But now um, we just launched about a year ago, our, our third generation model. It really resolved all those issues from the first generation. It's a lot easier to ride, a lot easier to use. And because we went through all that pain and you know the, built this lean company, uh, now we're just uh, rocking and rolling with being able to do whatever we can dream of and from that being being lean for so long so aaron let's let's go into bullet point mode so in summary before we talk about when you make the transition from concept to physical product to well okay quality's got to start mattering now because a lot of people are using these right so before we get into that you just explained you know the first epic fail you had which was where do i go how do i get money and i got laughed at or a lot of nose in the face and that is people are scared to try because of that right so for you to have the perseverance to not care what people think to knew in your your own mind that this would work credit to you on that for the listeners if you were to give one bullet point and you say okay whether it's if i were to suggest the resources to find angel investors how do you find people with money your advice based on again you crashing and burning would for anybody to prepare to find that great person in st louis if you said, hey, if you got a concept, before we talk about production and scale and all that, my suggestion, if you're looking for investors, would be? Well, okay, let's assume that everybody on this podcast is doing a hardware project. Correct. Um, you are already out of the conversation for nine out of 10 investors. <laughs> Thank you for invoking hope to everybody. Thank you. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But it's true. So you have, I mean, it's going to be so random. That's the thing. Like if you're hardware, you just, you have to connect with an investor that really believes in the thing that you're doing and, and really more importantly, the business behind it. And um, that was, you know, with Stadia, Art Chu over there, he was a visionary for picking us, <laughs> just to you know, put it lightly. Yeah. There we go. But I'm saying that visionary because at the stage that he, that he believed in us, mm -hmm. I mean, no one else was close to it. So. That's why I say visionary, but you know, he, from his his perspective, it wasn't so much the snowboarding market, the business behind it, but he saw that we created these videos that just hooked you in and it just blew your mind because then no one ever saw anyone snowboarding on the street and it just hooked you and and you understood the product from the first like 300 milliseconds by seeing it do this thing that you've never seen but, but it connects and so that was the thing that we connect with art. So you're going to have to. Pitch a ton of investors, but think about like, you know, somebody that is into a, a facet of the business personally and believes in that because that's like, you know, the only way that you'll get a hardware funder start, a hardware startup funded. So that's going to lead me to the next question. No BS. 
there's a fear of finding an angel investor. Getting the money or getting the yes, to your point, is troublesome if it's hardware. However, the other big apprehension would be IP. And I don't want to, again, disclose you know, your negotiations, but is that something that people with ideas need to worry about? Or is that something that can be openly discussed and decisions can be made without you know, getting snookered or you know, robbed of, of, of a technology or an idea? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's the point of a provisional patent. So you want to, I mean, this, and this is my first step, you know, I, I didn't know much about hardware, anything about hardware. I was running a marketing company and I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to do hardware, I don't want it to be something someone can knock off mm-hmm. because then you're just financing, you know, a bunch of Chinese knockoff companies. So the very first thing I did was look at, you know, can't, is this, oh, this has already been patented. Somebody already think of this. Is there room for IP? And so luckily for, in our case, no one had ever thought about this powered caster drive, um, which is the core of our technology. So, you know, the first thing I did was work with, you know, a, a good firm to do a search, make sure we weren't violating anyone's patents or someone had already done this, and then file that provisional, which can be done very quickly. I actually write in how-to on my Inc. magazine column about that, that you can go step-by-step with the links. And... Um, and, you, and that, that buys you a year. So in that year, at the end of that year, you have to file the real patent, which is a lot more work. But in that in that time period, they kind of give you a year because you can go out and talk to investors, pitch the idea, and you've got that provisional because it dates back to the date that you filed that. So if you go into an investor meeting, dump the whole beans on them, and uh, you don't have to worry about them, you know, going and filing a patent, you know, uh, behind your back because you've already back, you know, you've already outdated them. But, you know, that said, you know, you might file your patent and then, you know, the, the a person at the USPTO kind of beats down the claims and waters it down and maybe it's not as good. So that's kind of the risk that investors see with provisionals. But definitely file a provisional because if there's something there, yep. at least you'll have the date. Okay, good to know. And then so as, as we move forward, now you've got investing. The idea now has come to fruition. So you're going to prototyping. You're going to pre-production runs. So in our world, it's before everything's finalized. If it's ISO compliant, you know, you have all your ducks in a row and it's it's not going to deviate from that product to product to product from a quality standpoint. So at what point then from 2016 to now, did that window come to where you said, okay, you know, we're, we're getting units out, we're, the, the brand piece is there, the popularity is coming. Now from the strategy, cost, implementation, when did you start having to say, all right, I need to now, I've sold my vision. That was a lot of work. Wipe the brow. Now the next one is, all right, I need the steel-toed boots. I got to get in some factories where we get the production going. And I really, like, these things are important. I guess, what's the next then bullet point when they got the money, now it's all right, let's go and, and proceed with the pre-production runs. What are the things that, as you look back now in the last year and a half, two years, three years, that you go, hey, for those of you that do this, this is what's really going to be important? Yeah, I would say, you know, focusing and really testing and, and developing a product that a customer won't break. If you're inventing something and we made this mistake, like you get through the inventing part and you invent this thing and you feel like, oh man, that, that was the hard part. Now I just got to order the parts. And actually looking back, the hard part wasn't inventing this thing. Actually, we put the parts together and I mean, it was like six months to prove a concept, but the hard part was getting something that a customer would break. And so thinking about that early on, I would say going into those those manufacturing processes really make sure that you you really test those those items and and sometimes you don't have time like like we did I mean we were just up against 
we, we had already been so slow in terms of like you know inventing the thing and because when we when we raised and i don't recommend this either but when we raised uh that first indiegogo we had really just kind of proven the concept and you know, we hadn't, we didn't have relationships with these manufacturers or even have manufacturing designs, things like that. And you definitely want to get a little bit further along before you uh, raise money. Like, you know, cause then with us, it took us like a year and a half to, to do that. And because that harder part was making something that a customer would break. So I would say, think about that a lot in the beginning. Okay. And then now we move forward to today. So you're, you're, you're scaling, you're continuing to expand, you're forecasting. How much is that in terms of importance as you're looking at, you know, the balance sheet and the financials or, you know, your guidance, your board, et cetera. And I'm not saying board, like the product, I'm saying like maybe your executive team, rather the advice that you're getting, because in my world, any consumable finished product with the OEMs that we work with, it's the most difficult because marketing and, and branding and the virality, as you said, is so tough to kind of calculate that ROI or the measurables versus like when we're in medical, you, you know, the hospitals that you're supplying or the medical industries that are taking only so many units and, you know, because of HIPAA law and things like that, it's kind of slow, steady growth. Can you talk about them now? Like how, how many times a week, daily, you don't sleep maybe? where you are having to think or discuss about scale and forecasting and constantly looking at, hey, are we producing enough? Do I need to be proactive now and start forecasting and think, hey, do we need to have another, you know, a secondary uh, manufacturing line? And just, again, give the listeners kind of, this will probably be the other thing that's really important that you have to have to consider. Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of scale, which is kind of where we are now, given that we finally have this product that is really ready for being scaled. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like you mentioned before, quality is a huge part of that and quality controlling each part. And, you know, we're, we manufacture this ourselves here in California. And so we're in a lot of ways, you know, manufacturing company and a marketing company and all these other things. But on the manufacturing side, I mean, it's, you know, just getting those for scale, making sure that you've weeded out all the, the we call gremlins around here. So the gremlins are these little, anything that you have to do to the part after receiving it here from the, the manufacturer, any type of modification, no matter how minor it is. I mean, it might be just like, okay, sanding this bearing slot, it might only take you 10 seconds, but like, you know, over 3,000 units or something. I mean, that's, you know, even a two second, thing is it takes your your mind off what you're doing and it's you got to work all those out before you get to that scale point and the other thing that that we do just consistently is improving a few things every single run that we make so we have a sheet that we look at and run down and it's planning out every you know all these improvements over the next you know few runs at least the next run we always try to get them all out but you know, it's every single run we're tracking improvements to the product or the manufacturing or something like that and making sure that it's like the Toyota thing, you know, you're like you're, that, that 1% improvement a year or whatever. We try to do that with every single run we do. And I think that, you know, that will help you scale because you just get faster and faster. And, you know, we've cut down our assembly time and number of parts and all these things. And that's another thing that, you know, we didn't have experience with, uh, you know, design for manufacturing in the beginning, but like that's going to be the kind of mo more important than even a lot of the concerns you probably have about the performance of your product for the scale side. You got to have that. Sure. Nailed. 
So we've talked getting money. We've talked making it. We've talked now you're in production runs. You're you're meeting demands, whether it's local, globally. You know you're going to adjust and pivot based on you know the orders coming in. Now this last piece of any company that makes something that they have to consider is what is going to be your distribution, your channel to market. So again, we serve every industry. So we've worked with companies and I can't say their names, but in automotive that don't have a gas combustion engine. So they don't sell through a dealer network. Uh, we've worked with uh, automobile companies that sell through dealers here in the Midwest that you know well. And obviously, like you said, from the virality of it, if you're able to have the marketing piece done yourself, great, you can be e-com. Are there things that, and I'm just saying this openly, asking you as considerations you're making. If e-com is working, does it make sense for a manufacturer who's having success, who's delivering on goods, you're meeting demand, you're scaling. Is there things that you're thinking about now that does make you consider to go, you know, we are all e-com based, so it's all through our website, all transactions. But then you look at the cost of the credit card fees they're charging, you know, level three fees, and you're like, hmm, why did we just lose $70,000 in credit card transactions? Are there people that are now talking to you? Because, of course, the success, it breeds success. Everybody wants to be around you. Distribution channels, retail chains. Do you see value in being available in multiple channels? And then can you speak to, from your own opinion, why you think that way? Yeah, I mean, we're actually having this conversation internally right now because our only channel at the moment, our only channel really historically has been direct to consumer through our website. And that is definitely a viable, especially for hardware. You know, you can have a Shopify store up in a few minutes and start taking orders. I mean, in yeah, literally minutes. So I think getting started, you, you probably want to start there. Yeah, I think it depends on the industry. So every industry, you know, might have tradition, like when you say distribution, like distributors, that's the pretty old school. And, you know, depends on the industry that you're in. It might be an old school industry like that, where they have a bunch of distributors that everybody buys from. And, but, you know, for us at least, and I guess snowboarding is kind of a mom and pop type industry. I mean, you know, the average snowboard shop that you go to is a mom and pop snowboard shop that they're, they know the products up and down and it's not like nobody goes to Dick's for a snowboard. I mean, they might, they might sell them, but don't buy a snowboard from Dick's. <laughs> like, you know, go to a shop and they know what they're doing. REI sells some snowboards. I think they're kind of like the closest big chain that we would ever consider selling in. But, you know, for us, we have so much success with direct consumer and you own that consumer relationship, which is huge. You don't know how they're going to push you in these, these stores. But for us, I mean, we're really excited to work with mom and pop snowboard shops because they're so influential in their communities and um, they can become such experts on the product. So that from, I think, uh, and, and like, this is like the internal conversation we're having is like, what's best for the customer is how is delivering through retail shops can be better for our customers. And so for us, we're kind of, you know, thinking about that and, you know, giving up that customer journey, but also having someone locally that they can go to as like a hub and fix their boards and hang out and do these things that like we have here with our shops. So, you know, it's like balancing all these. I don't have an answer because we're still thinking about it internally. And we are selling through a few retailers right now, testing the waters with, and almost all of them are international. We've got UK, New Zealand, Australia, and San Diego. <laughs> so 
those are kind of my test markets that we're, we're seeing this about. So for us, I, I don't have the best. I know that distribution in Europe, they're a bigger thing, at least with our industry. In the U.S., not at all. There's no, no more distributors. Everybody just goes directly to these little mom and pop shops. So, you know, I think I think it's like think about the business case, but more importantly, the customer case than the business case than sales. Well, in, in our discussion offline and even now, you made it clear. And this is why I really appreciate you spending some time with our listeners. You had already said it, but it is clear to me that the voice of the customer matters to you. The happiness that they have when they purchase your product does matter to you. And I think that, you know, as I said, going back to globalization now, I think that why you would consider, you know, a dealership partner would be maybe in a country where there's some language barrier or you have an absence of closeness to the customers, right? So geographically, you're not physically there. You might not speak that language. So rather than rely on, you know, an email back to summer boards, you know, you want somebody local there to address any quality issues or, you know, because maybe, you know, like you had said, durability testing, as I call it, seek and destroy. They try to do everything from, you know, cold weather testing to uh, vibration testing and everything else for every component. But I think that, you know, as you continue to embrace the voice of the customer, when it's not local or you can't stay connected would be maybe why a company would consider making a partnership with the individual or groups that physically can be there. So now I want to talk then, you know, we, we've kind of gone full scale from concept to production to now I want to say what on your mind then what's on the horizon not from growth, not from sales, not from branding, not from partnerships, from strategy, manufacturing, future development, engineering. What is the ideas or thoughts that now come into your plane? You just mentioned you released your third model. So I'm sure there's going to be development for the future. What are the things? Is it the voice of the customer that you are really targeting? Or is it more improving your processes as a manufacturer of for the future? For us, I think we're going to turn into maybe less of a manufacturing company and more of you know probably sales marketing product development i think that you, you kind of have to pick both yeah we're thinking about like our passion is these crazy products that you can just you can't get this experience anywhere else and you know there's applications from air and water and the you know the streets like we have and so we're thinking about that and you know we we're trying to build a brand that is like when you think of summerboard it's this experience that you just can't get anywhere else maybe on the you'd have to be 100 yards out you know at jaws to, you know like surfing the waves or like you know take the other feet up on a mountain or something you know how do we bring these experiences to people's everyday life and maybe in these different forms and so if we can develop those products and be a brand that you know someone else thinking about that product wants to you know come in and, and, and develop it with us. I mean that's you know we want to be the apple of like just crazy experiences. So that's that's kind of the, the ultimate vision of of the company. And Summerboard is definitely one of those. So to close this out, I think we're making a great segue <laughs> to what I wanted to ask you, which is now because of your success, because now you went from a guy with a gnarly thought to going through financial investing to learning manufacturing. Is it possible that Aaron now is becoming a potential angel investor himself? 
our idea is now coming to Summer Board where you're having meetings where people have interest to join the brand that you've built to expand on different technologies in water and air. Is that is that something that now, again, wasn't planned but starting to happen? Well, I mean, I think that behind a lot of those technologies, you have to get the power density of batteries, I mean, way higher than they are today for anything, especially in air. So I think we've got a ways to go. But when those, yeah, we want to be at that, you know, kind of holding company or brand that, yeah, that people want to come in and they see, like, they've got this idea and, you know, Summerboard is the obvious channel we want to release this through and, and partner with us on that. I mean, that's the, and, and those are the people, we, you know, that we hire and, and some of the, those are the ideas that we're thinking about. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's like the idea of any, you know, kind of vision driven holding company, I guess. And yeah, for us, people that connect that vision, that's who we want here at Summerboard. So to be clear, and, and I just want to validate this as we put it out there. So for all the listeners, if they have an idea of hardware based on an amazing experience before they try to contact you, I'm just asking this, if they maybe have the funding in place or they've got a little bit, but they know that it's a good product and they've gone through Summer Board, they understand exactly what you're about, they understand what the experience is that you're delivering upon and they think that you would see value in their idea, are you open to them on the general inquiry of Summer Boards reaching out to you to share their idea with you? Yeah, definitely. Reach reach through me at LinkedIn, you know, uh, Aaron Aders, you can find me there. And yeah, pitch us your idea. I mean, if, if I'm behind the times and like not aware of these, these you know, some crazy idea that's out there and, and you, you know, you connect with uh, Summerboard brand and yeah, pitch me. Would, would love to. And that, that's our vision. That's our dream. I mean, it's very important to me personally and people that work here that, you know, Summerboard releases the first hoverboard. I mean, that's, you know, that was like the first thing I saw as a kid that was just blew my mind. So, you know, if we're not the ones to invent it, I want the people that do invent it to see Summerboard as the obvious cool place to to come and bring that technology. And so, yeah, that's definitely uh, open to those pitches for sure. All right. So again, Aaron Aders, creator, founder of Summerboards, please go to summerboards.com. You guys are on every platform, right? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Not so much Twitter. But You're not a good Twitter guy, huh? <laughs> no, I, Twitter uh, pass me by. Okay. Yeah, Instagram, Facebook, all those platforms. And then as far as, again, from concept, ideas, collaboration, partnerships, find you on LinkedIn, right? Yeah, just contact me on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. I really thank you for your time. I know that you're busy. I'm excited. I would like to have maybe some conversations in the future as more developments happen or there's some other things that are definitely worth sharing and bringing value to other people that you're going to collaborate with. So Aaron, I want to thank you so much for being a guest of the Where's Willie podcast, summerboards.com. If you have a 16 year old, what is the best age, by the way? I mean, I dreamed of this when I was 13. That sounds a little young to me when I see what our board can do. But, kid, you know, parents are also putting their kids on dirt bikes. So right. but <laughs> if they you get on a dirt bike, we are way safer. Need to wear a helmet, should wear a mask, okay. depending on where you live. I'm 6'3", 250. Will it hold me? Yeah. I mean, we pulled 550 pounds on one board. So, yeah. All right. So for you big fellas, you can ride now too. experience the freedom. So summerboards.com, as always, I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're a first time listener, I invite you to jump over to Podbean, 
iTunes, iHeartRadio, uh, C-Suite Radio, wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review of my show so I can work to give you more of what you want to hear in the world of manufacturing, leadership, and everyday life. Again, please reach out. Aaron Aders on LinkedIn. If you've got a vision, an innovation to bring next level experiences to people around the world. If you are in manufacturing and you have a story you want to share or be a guest of the show and share your insights, the process is simple. Go to the Podcast.com and request to be a guest of the show. My producer, Linda Hopler, will get in touch with you and complete the registration and scheduling. All guests are free to the show, and we look forward to sharing your story with our listeners. Thank you all so much. Aaron, thank you so much. I wish you and your team continued success, and I'm hopeful that uh, the listeners today with the ideas of tomorrow will be reaching out to you in the weeks ahead. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And yeah, we'll catch up. Thank you for tuning in to the Where's Willie show. For more information on future shows, please visit Where'sWillyPodcast.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Where's Willie Podcast and on Twitter at Where's Willie P-O-D. Thank you all so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.